0: Thank you for joining me at the Ghost Light. My name is Matt Morris, and I want to get to the bottom of what inspires the average theater professional. There are a lot of people to talk to, so let's get to work. Thank you for joining me on the second episode of The Ghost Light, the podcast where I attempt to get to the bottom of what inspires the average theater professional. In this episode, I have a conversation with a good friend from college, Anthony Fortino. We talk about his start in the theater, his inspirations, and those that helped him along the way. We also discuss the musical Fun Home, a show that he is currently on tour with as an understudy and dance captain. It was such a pleasure learning more about Anthony, and I hope you feel the same. Hello, Mr. Fortino.
1: Matt, how are you?
0: I'm great. Can you hear me all right?
1: I can hear you great. Excellent. How are you doing, man? It's been a while. Dude, I'm doing good. I, um, it's been amazing. The tour has been awesome. We've been, we haven't been we have had a layoff since uh, December. Wow. So we've been sort of just going, going, going. But um, it's been awesome. We were in Kansas City, which was great. We were in Houston, and I drove up for um, Kylie Arnold's wedding in Fort Worth, so I got to see all the Fort Worth folk mm-hmm. there. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's been awesome. We're in Philadelphia right now. And I'm coming back to the city on Monday to move, get everything moved out of my apartment. (laughs) Wow, all right. In a day. Because it's our, we go to Hartford next, so it's our, just en route to there, I'm training to New York, so.
0: So you're just a busy guy. Yeah, but it's, I mean, busy,
1: you know, relatively. Busy (laughs) as in, I haven't had a week off, but I mean, you know how it is with, Sophie being a swing, it's in except she does way more than I do. You know, I just show up to the theater and I'm here in case the one guy understudy is sick. Yeah. Other than that, and I warm, the, you know, I warm the kids up every night and stuff. Has the dance captain buttons. I'm for the most part hanging.
0: Great man. So this is what I know about Anthony Fortino. Okay. Anthony right. Fortino is from Overland Park, Kansas, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, he went to TCU with me, studied theater and accounting. And uh, now he is in the national tour of Fun Home. So that's really what I know about Anthony. Why don't you kind of fill in the blanks for me? Why don't you start from the beginning to where you're at right now? Okay,
1: yeah, I uh, grew up in Overland Park. I was a sports guy until high school. And then that's when I started doing theater. I intended to try out for the soccer team. I didn't realize the tryouts were in the summer before school started, so I missed them, and so I needed something to do in the fall, and so I decided to audition for the musical, which was my favorite year, <laughs> and I, was, uh, I got cast as Benji Stone in that, and then it sort of all unraveled from there. Every year I started doing more and more musicals and got involved in the community, doing community theater in Kansas City, and then... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, then I went to TCU, and I was when I went to TCU, I was not convinced that I could make theater my career. Mm-hmm. I I didn't think I was good enough, and so I I did not think I could do theater as an actual career. So I double majored in theater and accounting, and fully expected that I accounting would be too hard, and that I would have to drop my theater degree to fully focus on accounting. But then four years later, I I still had both both degrees in the works. And so I finished both of those and then got my master's in accounting at TCU, which Mm -hmm. was just one extra year. Um, And then I went and worked for, I had a job at Ernst & Young in New York. I did an internship with them during my senior year in New York for two and a half months. And then, um, yeah, and then I graduated with my master's in May of last year, went home and did the last five years um, for this new professional theater company in Kansas City, and then moved to New York in June. And then at the end of July, and then in July, I started work at Ernst & Young. And then at the end of July, I got this audition for Fun Home and was cast the 1st of August. And then uh, a week later, I quit my job at Ernst & Young. And the next day, started rehearsals for the tour. Yeah, so you're just living the dream. <laughs> it's, it's been crazy. It's been hard. It's been hard. For someone who likes to plan things, it's been awful hard to plan in much of my life recently, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, so I just want to go back. You said that you missed soccer practice, and so just instead you decided on a whim to audition for a musical. So you just kind of fell backwards into it, right?
1: Yes. I I did. um, Growing up, I sang barbershop. Mm -hmm. So I sang in a barbershop chorus. Um, My dad... Has has been singing in barbershop quartets and choruses since he was in high school, and so since I was seven, I had been singing in the Heart of America Barbershop Chorus in Kansas City, um, and it you know, went to the, like international competitions and whatnot with this with this you know vocal ensemble, this barbershop chorus. So I I definitely had performed on stage, but I and I was in my eighth grade production of The Music Man, and I was Harold Hill in that, but mostly because, you know, what no other eighth grade boy can, could carry a tune. And I, you know, I've been singing since I was seven. So I definitely had singing experience, but, you know, no acting training, no vocal training. Um, so yeah, I sort of fell back and I just, and it just so happened that my favorite year, the lead role in that, you know, calls for this young, you know, fresh faced writer. So I, I happened to be right for the role again. So Mm -hmm. it was, you know, very much coincidental and lucked out and, was sort of, yeah, it just sort of all unraveled from there in this crazy thing. One of the seniors in that show sort of took me under his wing and encouraged me to audition for this big outdoor community theater the next summer, and they were doing High School Musical. And I was Troy Bolton in that, which was, you know, and I met people from there that, you know, worked at other theaters that sort of led to that next thing. So it all sort of, yeah, you know, as as you know, as the business goes. You know, as you meet more and more people, it's such a it's just like any other business in that who, you know, is is almost more than any means more than almost anything else. Um, And that's been certainly true for me in my life. It's who people I've met have definitely been a huge part of anything that's happened.
0: Yeah. So were your parents and friends and family in general supportive of you pursuing this? Did they think that you would do it in school or, you know, were they kind of resistant to that? How did that work?
1: Yeah, my parents have always been fully supportive. Um, they have always, you know, said we will support you, but we want to make sure you know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So they absolutely said we will totally support you going off to do only theater in school if that's what you want to do. As long as you know, you know, here's what the life is going to be. Ask people who are in the business what that life looks like. You know, do you want to be waiting tables after college, and you know, doing what, you know, the stereotypical things that people talk about, you know, aspiring actors doing. And so they asked me that and I said, no, I, I don't really want that. I want job security. I I'll want a family. So that's why I'll have accounting as as my backup, if you will. So, but they they absolutely were supportive and and have only gotten more supportive over the years as I've, you know, had more opportunities to do more things. They've only been more and more supportive.
0: Great. That's really good to hear. I know a lot of people don't have that experience, so...
1: Yeah, I feel so, so lucky. If they if they didn't want me to do this, it would be yeah, it would I can't imagine it. So yeah, they're a huge part of why I'm why I'm here.
0: And in school, like you said, you you did have that accounting degree and you even went back and, and got your masters, correct? So you you kinda had that plan. Are you thankful still that you did that? Or is that something that maybe if you went back you would reconsider? Do you recommend having that thing to other people?
1: Yeah. I will say it's hard right now to say, but I do, I am, I 100% do not regret getting my accounting degree. And my master's was sort of like a prerequisite to be able to sit for the CPA exam, which I, I did eventually like take and pass all four tests while on the tour. So I am also a CPA now. And I, I would recommend that not having a cpa for everyone obviously but i i totally recommend if you have another interest to sort of go after that because yeah no i don't regret it at all because you know after this tour who knows what's next i might not have a show for years and so to be able to have a cpa and two accounting degrees to to use that i i'm also interested in i think it's a great thing and you know I think as as you I'm sure you also know, having other interests to be able to fulfill yourself is great. You know, if there's not a show there to fulfill your artistic and performing need, you have to have some other outlet to be able to um, you know use and talk about to, to find fulfillment in life. I think it's much better to have that than it is to go, you know if you love waiting tables and that's amazing, but if waiting tables makes you hate your life, then I think it's way more important to have something else that you love to do and have experience or academic background in or some sort of expertise in something else to be able to survive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. It's some people, you know, are, are hesitant to double major, but I think it can be beneficial if you do it the right way, if you have the work ethic to to go through with it, you know, because I know it's probably pretty tough for you because you mentioned you know possibly thinking maybe this was something you couldn't do theater was that in college or was that in high school
1: um it was in high school and mm-hmm. then there were certainly moments through college when i thought it i mean i took my junior year was the most i ever took i had 22 hours in a semester wow which was it was yeah it was it was a lot and it was i absolutely was not able to do all my homework for every class so i was sort of just waiting until test day and then studying right before tests. Um, so it was not, yeah, it was not easy at all. And so it's absolutely not right for everyone or something everyone has to do, but, you know, for, especially for people as, you know, doing theater or looking to do theater things like, you know, an arts administration minor or a business minor, or even some other minor in the arts, you know, or even just taking classes and other things. Um, or, or working at, you know, or like interning in the box office somewhere at a local theater. You know, anything that gives you experience in something other than performing on stage, I think is, you know, incredibly useful because there are so many avenues to work in in the theater or in the arts. And so, you know, giving yourself experiences in something other than just acting on, on a stage is very important.
0: Yeah, I think it's very easy to fall into that trap of only focusing on theater and not taking in everything that college has to offer because we went to a liberal arts college. We didn't go to a conservatory or anything. So there was plenty of stuff for us to do. And I felt like a lot of people would kind of sit back, act or design or whatever they did, and they didn't get the whole college experience, you know?
1: Totally. Oh, absolutely.
0: So kind of on that note, since you're a recent grad, you, you graduated, what, two years ago? Three years ago?
1: Yeah. yes. Yeah. 2015 was my undergrad and then last year with my master's.
0: So what is one piece of advice that you would maybe give to a high school senior who is going into college this next year?
1: I would say uh, you don't have to know what you're going to do with your life or with college, but be open to things that come your way. But also with with a caveat on that, I would also say don't try to do everything <laughs> because it's easy to do that in college. Most colleges, especially like TCU, there there are, you know, there are endless things for you to get involved in. Yeah, we knew those people too. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. And you it's easy to get overwhelmed by wanting to do everything. So you don't have to do everything, but definitely do something. Get involved in something. Do do at least one club, or if you like to sing, join the choir. Don't stretch yourself too thin, but 100% get involved because the people you meet in college, in anything, lead to opportunities that you have no idea will come your way. And they might be the people that give you your next job. They might be the people that yeah. Anything. So I, I would say, make sure you get involved in something. Don't get involved in everything. And you don't have to know what you're going to do. It, it's a pat you don't try to plan exactly what you're going to do because it's going to be different.
0: Yeah, I think that's a scary thought for I know it was for me for a high school student thinking like, you know, I have my whole entire life ahead of me and these four years kind of dictate exactly what's going to happen to me. And then you get there and you realize it's not really the the
1: case. Not at all. Yeah. I, I, there's no possible way that either you or I, when we were freshmen in college could ever have predicted that, you know, several years after college, we would be where we are now. No way. So yeah, it's pointless in trying to plan and you don't need to waste your energy doing that. Yeah.
0: Well, life is crazy that way. And, and speaking of that, um, the musical, so the, the way I've been kind of thinking about uh, organizing the show is having somebody on, have them talk briefly about themselves like you just did, how they got into theater, and then talk about a piece that's important to them. And when I asked you, you almost immediately said, fun home. And I know it's not only because you're in the show, you also mentioned that you think it's a very important piece of theater. So when I said pick something inspirational to you, why did Fun Home immediately trigger in your mind?
1: Um, First of all, yeah, first of all, because I'm in it, but because I'm in it is why um, I'm surrounded by its message and by its importance every day. And so it's important in that its message is highly universal, but it's... uh, it's especially relevant today, and that the show preaches number one, accepting yourself for who you are, not just your sexuality, but accepting your quirks, your differences. And it's also about seeing your family and seeing your parents through different eyes, and about family relationships, and about how no family is perfect. Every family has secrets, every family has problems every family has things that they would rather tuck under the rug and they put on a facade to try to look like they're perfect to the community around them and and sometimes and, and it's it's talking about how that can be utterly destructive if you let that consume you and so and, and obviously the show also tackles you know very directly in the show it, it's about the character Allison who is um, who's lesbian and has her coming out story in college and sort of dealing with that and not being able to accept that. And ultimately, you know, realizing that it's okay to be who she is. And so taking that story around the country right now too, has really opened my eyes to how important the show is. Obviously it did well in New York and won the Tony award, but, you know, going to some of these Midwestern cities, smaller towns, and seeing and hearing people come to the stage door after saying, wow, that is exactly my life story. I had no idea that other people felt the same way. I had no idea that it was okay for me to dress how I want to dress. I don't have to dress like people say girls have to dress or what the magazines say how girls have to dress or vice versa for for boys as well. You know, Guys, girls, transgenders have come to the stage door saying, all the same things, that they were so affected about how the show preaches that it is great and wonderful to celebrate who you are and to be confident in who you are. Um, and so I think that's really important. And it's also, you know, obviously about love and loving yourself and loving your family. And it's just a very true and real story. Um, and I just think that's, yeah, I just think it's very important in a, in a time where, uh, you know, there's so much hate in the world um, and so much so many things tearing people apart and make, you know, dividing us to be a part of this show that is, you know, trying to open people's eyes to something into, um, you know, a group of people and just opening people's eyes to how important it is to love one another, uh, is really great. And that's what I love the show. And that's why I love being a part of it and spreading that message to other people is, is, uh, it's, it's been incredible, incredible to see people's reactions to it, um, and to be a part of the the journey with it which has been awesome.
0: Yeah, I think another reason why it has been so successful. So it was it was off Broadway in what 2014 2015 and then yes, it moved to Broadway. Yeah, moved to Broadway in 2016 and it's just been a smash hit and now it's having its first tour. Like national tour, right? Um mm-hmm. so it's kind of moving at this Rocket pace, and I think it is very much an LGBTQ musical, but it's also a lot more universal than that. Um, I remember—I don't know if it was a producer or somebody just reviewing the show or something—but they said a seventy-year-old straight man should be able to feel the same way about this play that a twenty-five-year-old LGBTQ, you know, woman man sh- feels. And I—I I was listening to it a lot recently because I don't know the show. That well, um, I only really started listening to it since you were going to be on the show. Um, but it's it's about being authentically you. It's about finding yourself, and like you said, it's about the things that families are dealing with underneath. Um, is there anything in particular about this show that that resonates with you personally?
1: Um, you know, that's really interesting. I. I actually don't, you know, I, I actually can't say that there is anything that is directly personal to my life, but I think that maybe also speaks to why I think the show is so great, is that there's nothing in the show that I directly relate to. I've been so fortunate to have, you know, great parents and a great upbringing, but the story itself is so touching and it's, and it's also knowing my, my mom could relate to some of this. And she came and saw the show in St. Louis and she could relate because uh, not that her father was gay or anything because the, the the main father in the story is gay and he hides it and all this stuff. And so, but she could relate to having, you know, there was those secrets and there's those things. And I think it was especially more true back, you know, in the seventies and eighties when the story takes place, things like that, that weren't widely accepted. There are so many secrets and, Secrets are what it drove you know the main this main father in the story to commit suicide. And I think that happened a lot back then and, and unfortunately still happens today. But the fact that those secrets existed, if you know, if only they could have been talked about, if only they could have been comfortable with who they were and things like that, I think is something that I can can see and I know that my mom related so strongly with. And so knowing that it resonates with her really touched me seeing, watching her watch the show. Um, and so that's, and, and yeah, so e- even though I can't resonate personally with it, seeing all these other people, you know, directly resonate with it or take so much out of it. And and that's the thing I watch it and still, you know, I'll still cry when I watch it because it is just a powerful story, a powerful piece of theater. And that's what I love. I love that. I love theater that even if you cannot directly relate to it you, again, like exactly like that quote you, you said, you know, a seven-year-old straight male can watch this and be just as affected as anyone else watching it, and um, and yeah, that's what's that's what's amazing, I think, about the show.
0: Yeah, and and for those of you that may not know the show, like I didn't about a week ago, uh, and I'm probably gonna butcher this, so feel free to fill in any gaps I leave. But uh, <laughs> it's a, a woman in her, I think, fifties, maybe her, maybe forties, fifties. She's 4- forty-three. Yeah, forty-three. Um, sh- she's a lesbian, and she's writing her memoir. So she's looking back through her life, and she's kind of seeing how there are these peaks and valleys in her life where she was finding herself, but so was her dad, but. Him finding himself was so destructive, and you know he was trying to suppress everything, while she was just kind of going up and up and up and accepting herself for who she was, and and she ends up quote unquote happy really in the end, uh, and he ends up committing suicide. So it's just kind of their lives intersecting in these weird moments in different ways, and I just think the show is so clever and touching because it's like one person's rise is another person's fall.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great synopsis. And just filling in like little things is, uh, it's it's a memory play. So it's set up in this way where she starts in the present and reflects back on two different periods in her life. So she looks back at herself when she was ten, and then she looks back at herself when she was in college. And so we see glimpses throughout the play back and forth between when she was ten and when she was in college, and you see the development of this relationship between her and her father. And you see his constant struggle as it gets more and more. And she basically falls deeper and deeper into these memories as she's standing at her at sketch board, sketching out, drawing this. She's she's making a, a graphic novel of her life. It's based on Alison Bechdel, who is a real uh, lesbian graphic novelist, uh, very famous in that community. And it's, It's about her writing this graphic novel, and she gets deeper and deeper into these memories until at the end of the show, she basically becomes part of them and sees her father going through this traumatic scene, which, and yeah, he eventually commits suicide, and it causes her to question, you know, am I just like my dad, who is also gay and I'm gay? Does that mean that I also am not going to be able to accept myself? And she eventually, in the end, realizes that, no, that you know, she can accept herself and she can be happy with who she is and and move on with her life. And it sort of frees her by going through this journey of looking back on these memories and seeing her father's pain. It sort of frees her and allows her this release of being able to know that it's OK to be who she is. Um, and so it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's beautifully written by Lisa Crone. Who she won the tony for it and the way that it's written in this this structure where she sort of delves into these memories in this in this way is is genius and it's beautifully written very real it's so conversational and so easy to act and so easy to listen to it's beautiful
0: yeah i think the most impressive song to me i think it's is it called telephone wire
1: oh yeah so that's that's where she's completely in these memories so she's She's back in the house that she was in, and then all of a sudden he he's having a scene with the her college age self, and then he looks at her, and all of a sudden she is now a part of the story, and they go and sit in the in the car and have this experience in this song where she is sitting in the car and remembering her la- the last time she ever talked to her father, and she's sitting there saying, you know, this could have been different. This could have been different. I wish I would have said something. I wish you and I would have talked about the fact that we're both gay, and it's okay. But she never said anything to him, and he never brought it up. And that was the last time she saw him before he committed suicide. And so that song, yeah, is so, so moving, so powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've never seen the live show, but that song is definitely moving. And I think it shows the craft, the reason why she won the Tony. Because to me, when I envision it, you kind of get the, this frantic almost like sadness from uh the girl character so i can't remember her name um allison allison and then the dad his parts of the songs are very somber and sad but almost hopeful because i think he's resigned himself to finally like ending it so it's like like the whole show again is like peaks and valleys and this like in this three minute chunk is just very in and out and like
1: it's incredible yeah, no, it's yeah, it's a beautiful scene. Absolutely, one of my favorites.
0: Mm-hmm. What what is your favorite song from the show?
1: My favorite song is the finale. Um, probably because it's probably a really, really because of the the music in that number. It's a trio with Allison, Medium Allison, which is what they call the the college age version of herself, and um, Young Alison. And so it's the three the three versions of the same character. And so they're all on stage singing this beautiful, beautiful trio, and it, it's this sweeping melodies, and it's called "Flying Away," and it's and that's you know that's what it sounds like. Like there's this flying away, there's this release, and so after all these emotions, her father, you know, she's seen her father kill himself, and all of a sudden now, she realizes she's just she's back alone on stage, and then the two other Allisons join her for this ending trio, and it's sort of where she. She, she accepts it. She accepts everything, and she is ready to move on. And it's this beautiful, beautiful song that it ends the show. And is uh, yeah, it's, it's a great tie-up to the entire story.
0: Is Fun Home one of those shows that you see us doing 100 years from now?
1: Oh, man, I hope so. I can already tell you that a lot of regional theaters already have it booked for their next season. Um, we've been hearing a ton of regional theaters that have been, you know, putting it into their season for 2018. And I think that is so great and so important. And because it's a, you know, it's a small cast, it's a smaller show. And so it's easy to produce regionally. It's not some really big commercial production that you have to have a huge budget to be able to put on. And so I think, I think, yeah, I think it will be around 100 years from now. I really hope so.
0: Great, man. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. You're the first person I've recorded. So <laughs> this is a learning. This is a learning experience for me. But I do have one uh, final question for you. What is your dream role?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So my dream role was to be in Catch Me If You Can, to be Frank Abagnale Jr. And I got to play that in Dallas. And it was amazing. And I would love to play that role again. So that that can be considered a dream role but beyond that I would also love to be Jack Kelly in Newsies. Okay. Why? <laughs> um <laughs> I just love that show. That's such a terrible reason to have a dream role. I love that uh, show. I love I love the music. I love I feel super connected to that character. He is he's in this in this place, and he just wants to, you know, get out and do something else with his life. He wants to get out and do something. And he just always has this need, right, to go do something, and he's the leader of all these other newspaper boys, and he wants to do something new with his life, and, um, and and he does it, you know what I mean? He goes out, and he's just so go-getter, and the show itself is, I mean, it's a Disney show, so it's just entertainment at its best, but uh, that is definitely... High on the list. And I would also love to do Melchior again because that is uh,
0: Yeah. You were great, great in that role. role. I saw that one. Thank you. Thank <laughs> no problem. you. Thank
1: you. No, I would love to do another production of that. But
0: all right. Well thanks again, man. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I'll be in touch.
1: Thanks, dude. You too. I appreciate it and I will talk to you soon.
0: Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you have time, a subscription and a rating on the podcasting service you use would be of great help to me. I'm always looking for new people to bring on, so please get in contact with me at TGLpod on Twitter and Facebook, or theghostlightpod at gmail.com. If you like the music you've heard, the intro was provided by Melandros, and the outro was provided by Pachyderm. You can find them both on music streaming services, and I'll also include them in the show notes. See you next time at The Ghostlight.